Freshly Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, dude? It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Uh, and this week, more than ever, kudos to the Cincinnati Bearcats football team. Again, pulling off a monumental victory. One of the biggest victories in years. They defeat the University of Central Florida Knights? Golden Knights? What's the mascot? I thought they were the University of Cincinnati, Florida. Something like that. But anyway, <laughs> they came in ranked. They left unranked. The defense was absolutely incredible. And it led into what was a wonderful basketball event. Midnight Madness returned last Friday. I guess technically Saturday. Started around midnight. A truly welcomed and wonderful event. Hummer, I regret that you couldn't be there. How was it? How was it to miss Midnight Madness? It was awful. I'm trying to follow it on Twitter and no one wants to update. They, you know, just these little snippets of nothing. That's all I got. Right. I definitely want to start with the positives coming from Midnight Madness. But one opportunity left on the table was streaming for Bearcat fans who don't reside in Cincinnati and want to take part in the event. Hopefully they'll get to, to stream those types of events in the future. Memphis did have theirs on ESPN platforms after all. Um, but anyway, it was a long-awaited return. Midnight Madness returned for the first time in about 15 years to the University of Cincinnati. About 8,000 people in attendance. I'd say the whole lower level was filled up. We did have some excess in the top level and incredible energy leading up to the event. Uh, they were streaming and showing the football game. Folks were cheering, getting excited, getting rowdy, uh, serving alcohol, fortunately. And uh, honestly, the uh, the atmosphere was incredible. You don't drink alcohol. No, you're right. You're right. I, uh, I uh, watched from afar, sipped on my water, and got excited to watch the guys. Uh, Hummer, I want to touch on some of the highlights from the event, and there were plenty. There were plenty. Uh, the energy and excitement, as I mentioned before, was was absolutely incredible, and that carried over into the introductions for both teams. They they let the women's team get introduced first. That team is full of incredible personalities. Uh, they were they were fun, charismatic, entering the court. Really got the fans on their side. And after that, they brought out the men's team, and in particular, the the reception for Jaron Cumberland, the reception for John Brannon. And actually, the reception for, for Javen Cumberland as well, really incredible. Uh, the crowd got on their feet for Jaron and Coach Brandon. You can see that the fan base is completely engaged and, and ready to turn the page on the next chapter. It seems like John Brandon is a welcome change to the program, and that's not just for people like us and the diehards, but it seems like the casual fan and, and the, the true Bearcat fans are ready for this change in, in playing style and coach and face of the program. Are you surprised by that? No, not at all. Uh, I think one of the first videos I actually saw was uh, on Go Bearcats. Uh, first preview of, of my Midnight Madness experience. Jaron Cumberland, pretty popular in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... They, uh, showing the pyrotechnics off. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the pyrotechnics were, were a, funny, um, a funny effect to add, but... Honestly, great to see the, the crowd show out for the people that have given the most to this program and, in, and for Jaron Cumberland in particular, who's, when it's all said and done, going to end up being one of the all-time greats in terms of Bearcat basketball history. 
one thing that uh, another thing that jumped out to me. So the the event went. There was the introductions. We then got short little speeches from Coach Brandon and Coach uh, Hurd on the other side with the women's team. And then we moved into three-point shooting, a dunk competition, and then scrimmages for both women's and men's teams. I want to point out on the three-point competition, while there are some things that were left to be desired, one thing that's going that's very clear, Javin Cumberland is a shooter. This guy's shooting form, his quick release, and the amount of times they went in the hoop got me excited. This guy has a pistol. Are you surprised by that, though? I mean, we got a good chance to look at a lot of his highlight videos from his from his previous season, and you knew he's going to come in here being being a sharpshooter. Uh, you know, my question for you is: being there, being in person, what did you see that really actually surprised you? You're. I would say one of the one of the better surprises I saw is during the men's scrimmage. Zach Harvey, but also Micah Adams Woods were the stars, in my opinion. You know, with Zach Harvey, he's a top 50 recruit. You expect to kind of be impressed with a player of his caliber, but a couple observations on his front. Pretty size, pretty good size. Where it looks like a true 6'5 in terms of 6'4, uh, 6'5 in terms of his height. Good build, long player. But his, his ability to drive and create for other players is what surprised me. I expected to see him more as a scorer, but he, he was more of a playmaker than I expected. And on the defensive end, he was guarding and matched up with Keith Williams and really was taking it to him. I know it's a friendly scrimmage between teammates, but Zach Harvey seemed interested in letting Keith Williams know that we are playing a very similar position on this team, and I intend on being a key contributor and coming for your spot. That's Honestly, Zach Harvey really impressed me and should be a guy who's playing significant minutes in year one for our team. Do you see him being given the keys to the kingdom? Eventually. I mean, if I, you know, if he stays four years, he's going to be the next guy to drop, you know, be on the verge of dropping 2,000 points for this program. Ooh. Bold prediction. Honestly, I mean, this guy, his scoring ability is there. He's got a great uh, jump shot. He is not afraid to take it to the hoop. It's you could easily see a Jaron Cumberland type trajectory for Zach Harvey. Do you see him as a full four year player? Or do you see him possibly entering the league before his senior season? That's a good question. Right now, my prediction, I would predict four years. I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, that means things went really, really well for us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm going to bank on him being four years here. And if he is, I think we're in for a real treat on the Zach Harvey front. But I also want to make sure I'm mentioning Micah Adams-Woods. So Micah is the player who essentially we swapped with the University of Nebraska for Samari Curtis. Once Samari Curtis decommitted and chose to go out west, Micah's from Syracuse. Uh, a pretty well-regarded three-star recruit, kind of described as a combo guard with point guard, shooting guard type abilities. And when I hear incoming freshmen described as, as combo guard, I typically expect the combo to be more skewed to, towards scoring the ball and being a, a me-first uh, type player. And the opposite was true in the scrimmage. I know it's only a 20-minute scrimmage. It's very informal. But his instincts in terms of setting up teammates, whether it be keeping the dribble alive on the baseline, kicking out for three-point shooters, setting up big men, Micah Adams-Woods was very efficient at doing that during this scrimmage. And it was just one of those things that left me kind of excited about what he could potentially give to this team, not in the future, not in his second year, third year, fourth year, but actually in his first year. 
he could be a legitimate uh, key backup type point guard role for this team and maybe even push Chris McNeil for the starting guard. Well, it sounds like, you know, from what you're describing to me with a lot of the guards and the guards play that you saw, it's almost like John Brandon is recruiting a specific type of basketball player. He wants guys with great vision. He wants guys with with great basketball IQ. He wants guys that are going to be able to run his offense, which is which seems to be a more complicated type of offense than what we've seen here, uh, you know, at least in terms of a Cincinnati Bearcat club. No, I agree, and I think it might not even be necessarily complicated, but he wants decision-makers on the court. He wants players who feel empowered to make the call, whether it be shoot it, drive it, kick it. And Micah, Zach, even Chris McNeil right now, all of them seem to have the innate ability to drive, get in the lane, and create for others, and I think that's going to lead to much more offensive success this year, which we we were hinting at, not even hinting at. We, we expected if you listen to the le- the past podcast episodes. But the scrimmage yeah, left nothing. It, it left nothing. <laughs> um, it didn't make me think otherwise, right? Like this scrimmage proved out that we're going to fa- play a faster pace and we're putting more emphasis on guys being more creative on the offensive yeah, end. It's definitely not a hot take to say this team is going to score more than than past teams. Even I- I'm, I'm going to say if you want to take this as a hot take or what, but this is going to be a better offensive team than than Mick Cronin's best offensive team. And this may or may not, you know, we don't know what the future holds for this program under John Brandon, but I don't think this is potentially going to even be his best team. Oh, I think you're right. I don't that's probably not even a bold take. You know, there's some question marks yeah. still out there, but this team's really in good shape on the wing. We've got a lot of ball handlers, we have a lot of shooting, and we're going to see better results probably than any time we saw uh, in the Mick Cronin era, at least on the offensive end, I want to touch on a couple more things that were really that were really fun at, at Midnight Madness. Shelia Watson, and I hope I'm saying the name correctly, an incoming freshman on the women's basketball team. This girl can ball. I I was blown away with her. Her you're bill- blushing. I I put it on I put it on Twitter, but the the crossover, the first step. Uh, her ability to finish at the rim, and and I was I was blown away. I don't I got to admit, there's it's a bit of a blind spot for me. The women's team, I don't know a lot of the players, and so after I saw her play, I thought, oh, this must be one of the returning, you know, junior or senior players for our team. She's an incoming freshman. She was awesome. I was blown away with her ability. So shout out to to Miss Watson. I was really really fun watching her play basketball, and uh, hopefully I'll get to learn more about that team as that their season progresses. I wanted to also give one more mention. Mamadou Diara, the practice legend, the guy we've been hearing about for years, killing it in practice in terms of knocking down jump shots, being active on the glass and blocking shots. His first play in the scrimmage was a goaltend. And I got to admit, I shook my head and and was a a little peeved by that because that's the type of play that he would typically make during past seasons where it's a little undisciplined, um, a little chicken with his head cut off running around on the court and I thought that might have been a sign of things to come he slowed down and after that knocked down two three-pointers in the scrimmage and dunked on your boy Trey Scott something fierce if my phone had died, I would have loved to think that I would have caught that on video and shown it to you uh, so that you could have appreciated it but Mamadou Diarla really showed out in that scrimmage and was probably the most impressive center option for us Though I'm well aware that those scrimmages are not conducive to seven foot, 
260-pound guys running up and down the court with very little structure. Well, I think there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of positive vibes surrounding Mamadou Diara. I just love that name, Mamadou. Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. But, I mean, if you're looking at, at what's been at least just done around on Twitter, going around the interwebs, you get a lot a lot of stuff coming from Mamadou Diara in terms of his practice, his shoot. He's been really working on his shot this offseason. You know, so I think you even mentioned, too, he shot a couple threes. A big man shooting shooting threes, pulling out his inner Joel Embiid, uh, you know. So it, I think it is promising that hopefully we can see him turn around because you know last week we had the, the the three big burning questions, and I think now we really got it down that it's one big burning question. Uh, you know, what's this team going to look like at the at the big man big man position? Oh, for and, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought one of the one of the great points you made last week when we talked about the burning question with regard to point guards is you did say that we're going to have a lot of different ball handlers particularly Jaron Cumberland being a guy who's going to seize the offense but what was confirmed is you know Alex Meacham former Bearcat walk-on during the Huggins Huggins years he put out some great commentary about what he saw in practice and when I I specifically asked him the question about point guard do you see McNeil playing the point what do you what are you seeing on that front and he wrote back pretty candidly that because of the style of play and because of the number of ball handlers we have on this team, he expects it to to be a uh, kind of a, a strength in numbers type situation where we get the rebound and we kick it out to whichever guard is available at that time, and we're pushing it, pushing it down the court, kicking it out to open shooters and firing away. So, you know, it might not be a situation where we have to be, be as dependent on a Chris McNeil or a Micah Adams-Woods or Jaron Cumberland to run the show. It might be more of a... Uh, a uh, point guard by committee type situation. I mean, that makes sense, though. We, if you look at the roster set up and what they're listing in positions, we only have three forwards on this team. Uh, any day we have three true centers that, that they've listed. Everybody else is a guard. Right, right. So I do want to make sure I'm being fair to the event and, and kind of just sharing where I think we could maybe potentially do better in the future on the Bearcat Madness front because this is definitely 100% an event we need to continue bringing back year after year after year. When I listen to some pregame comments, and I feel I think you feel the same way, I'm not sure Coach Brandon is as enthusiastic about Bearcat Madness as we're led to believe. He, he did not sound like he was. No, and you know he doesn't see it as an event that makes the team better. But it's just one it, where he can get his players injured. It's an event though that gets fans excited, gets people out engaged in the program. Basketball season's back, and we need to you know, build upon it. Now, one thing I noticed is we had in attendance at Bearcat Madness this year, Bearcat legend, and I say legend with the, the truest of meanings, Steve Logan was in attendance. Yeah, Steve, no, Steve Logan's not in the Hall of Fame. Remember we did our, we went Jeez, through it and saw yes. that Nick Van Exel <laughs> just got inducted. I don't believe Steve Logan's in there yet. Steve Logan should be in the Hall of Fame. He's also the last player for the Bearcats to get first team All-America, Steve Logan should have his number in the rafters. Nobody should be wearing 22. Oh, no, no doubt. But you had Steve Logan, you had James White, you had Jamar Johnson. And what I think when you have returning players of that type of stature coming back, you know, guys who have NBA experience, who are currently playing in the big three. Um, I just to, to mention that. Just guys James, who James White. just guys who who gave a lot to this program and are making an effort to stay engaged in the community. Let's give them a shout out. Pull Steve Logan on, out onto the court. Give the crowd a chance to react. 
to him being there. He would have gotten a standing ovation. It, w- it would have gotten the place rocking. So I want to see. I want to see the program more willing, or at least I don't even I don't know if it's a willingness or just kind of a a potential oversight. But when when you have guys like that back, if Kenyon Martin comes back, if Steve Logan comes back, if the great contributors of Bearcat past come to events like Bearcat Madness, get them out on the court, pay our respects, let the crowd give them the ovation they deserve. Fair? Uh, I, I want to give, you know, maybe the benefit of the doubt to, to the program, too. This doesn't seem like an event where they knew they were going to do this back in back in March. Now, I think this it seems like it was an event where someone said, you know what, this is something we really need to do. But they decided to do it in, say, August. It's true. It, it did have the feel of an event that could be tightened up logistically. Um, I would say the hype video was odd. The hype video <laughs> lacked a lot of highlights from Jaron Cumberland, who is the legitimate star of this team, who is on Dick Vitale's preseason All-American list. Jaron Cumberland should be heavily featured in your intro video. And your intro video audio needs to be pumping through the building. We need to be getting people off their feet. So just small details like that that get the crowd excited. Let's make sure we hit those in the future. Let's make sure we're featuring the top players. And, and also, they, they did a bit of it. But those hype videos, when you throw in the highlights of Bearcats past, big Kenyon Martin slams, Jason Maxiel blocks, Nick Van Exel threes, we love it. More just, of it. As much of it as possible. Just play the entire Great Alaskan shootout. Just play right. the whole game. And I, I know the counter to it is, well, we want to make sure we're celebrating the team who's here, the team of this year. And I get that. But th- it doesn't hurt this team to also pay respect to what's in the past. It only enhances the experience, from my, from my opinion. You mentioned something interesting, though, Dick Vitale having, um, having some love for the Bearcats. That seems something that's been elusive uh, from that man's mouth over the past decade or so. True, true. But Dick, where Dick Vitale has a true soft spot, though, for the upperclassmen. He, he won't see Dick Vitale award a freshman preseason All-American honors. Dick Vitale loves himself a four-year player. And so I think Jaron Cumberland meeting that requirement and also winning conference player of the year last year likely got himself on Dick Vitale's radar. Hopefully Jaron Cumberland's our Kemba Walker. Oh, one can Take us hope. to the promised land, baby. Coomer, Midnight Madness. Anybody jumping over golf carts this year? Anything legendary stick out? Well, so <laughs> we got to have the three-point competition, and I got to talk about how pure – Javen Cumberland's three-point shot is. But there was also two other shooters from the men's side that participated in that event, and that's Keith Williams and Chris McNeil. Keith Williams, I would venture to guess anybody who's watched him play his first two years of basketball would not think of him as someone you would put in a three-point shooting competition. And our friend Alex Meacham, has, has shared some news that he completely revamped his jump sh- shooting form in the offseason. It did look different. I would say aesthetically it looked better, but he was missing about as many as he did before. And so his performance in the three-point shot shooting competition uh, left something to be desired. And then Chris McNeil, to no one's surprise if you listened to the podcast last week, not the best shooter. 
and the the results weren't showing in the in the three point shot competition. Hopefully, it's nerves. It's the first event of the year. Hopefully, both of these guys are making them at a good clip during the regular season when the shot selection comes into play. But uh, neither was overly impressive in terms of uh, shooting the rock. And then on the dunk competition, I would venture to guess it was the worst dunk competition in Bearcat history. Uh, Keith Williams. Wow. Keith Williams. Mr. Highlight Reel himself. His vertical is incredible. John Brandon shared with the crowd that they had a hard practice early in the day. And I got to be honest, his lift was not there, was not getting off the floor in his usual explosiveness. And it led to him not converting any dunks. Uh, he, he he was not able to convert any of the dunk attempts that he that he was attempting. And after him, in an effort to re-energize the crowd, your boy, Trey Scott, took the court, pulled his twin sisters from the bench of the women's team, lined them up underneath the hoop, built up, you know, pumped up the crowd, waved his arms. Let's go. I'm jumping over these girls. I'm throwing it down. And after about four or five attempts, unable to pull it off, may or may not have concussed one of his sisters on the way on the way over them. And uh, I would just say one of the least successful, least memorable dunk competitions. We're not going to be a highlight team from the dunk standpoint. We should be a team that is going to light it up from the three-point line. So there is that to be excited about. One more thing I wanted to mention, Hummer, is an, an opportunity left on the table for Midnight, for Midnight Madness, Bearcat Madness, is Coach Fickle and... Desmond Ritter actually stopped by the event to wish the team well, pay him their respects for an upcoming season, and we didn't give them the mic. We didn't hand the microphone to Luke Fickle to say some words to the crowd. They, Everyone was pumped. We were ecstatic over a huge victory, the biggest victory of his tenure at UC, Give the man the mic. Let him say some words. He's a football coach. He's going to pump up the crowd. And that's the kind of thing that in Midnight Madness, we need to do better in the future. Seize the moment. Seize the excitement. And, you know, it's okay to drag it out a little bit. Let us have those spontaneous moments of love and affection for for people who are giving back so much to the program, like the Logan, Steve Logan, Steve Logan's, Jamar Johnson's, James White's, Luke Fickle's seize that excitement i i would just comment and say well they act like us they acknowledge the existence of football <laughs> but they don't celebrate it <laughs> <laughs> very very fair way to hold me in check <laughs> unfortunately i do have to that does lead me into a couple notes here uh, with regard to some Bearcat news we got last week. And, and really, a lot of it actually dropped right before Midnight Madness. But Jared yeah, it was kind Cumberland, of a shocker, too. It came out of nowhere. It did. It kind of blindsided us, and it looked. It took some of the, the wind out of my sail going into Midnight Madness, realizing that four separate injuries were announced. And I don't believe, I think all but one of them, we were pretty much blind to. But we were told that Jaron Cumberland has a lingering foot issue with no no timetable release, but we did find out he's essentially been out all of the summer or most of the summer, which is pretty shocking news. Think that had something to do with his decision to come back? 
quite possible, right? You know, maybe with the injury issues, not able to show himself the way he could in the workouts. Um, who That's knows? All speculation, but, but yeah, who knows? It, it's complete speculation, but we we've talked about it. And Sam Elliott last week hit the nail on the head. This team will go as far as Jaron Cumberland takes us, and so if he is a question mark heading into the season, that puts in serious doubts the twenty five and five, twenty three and seven records that we boldly predicted a few weeks ago. Hey, we're going twenty three and seven regardless. In addition to Jaron, though, there was some other injury news announced. Trevor Moore is out six weeks with an Achilles injury. He was in a walking boot at Midnight Madness. Prince Toyambi. And then un- you saw him jacking up threes, too, didn't you? I did, and, and he was making a lot of them. So <laughs> when he when he tells Alex Meacham that he's he's feeling uh, feeling better about the support he's getting from the coaching staff, well, it was paying off from casual three-pointers launched at Bearcat Madness. I certainly hope we see more of that in real games. Prince Toyambi is out for an indefinite amount of time with an undisclosed injury. But when you listen to Brandon's comments, he is adamant that it is an injury-related issue. So best wishes to Prince. Hopefully it's a quick recovery. I've told everyone how excited I am to see what he can do. His calves are incredible. They are specimens. (laughs) His calves are unbelievable. This is the first time I've heard you mention body parts on on the podcast. I'm surprised it took this long. It probably <laughs> it, it's probably <laughs> going to be the last time, but they stood out. I'll just say that Prince uh, is going to be your Trey Scott, likely, and and it's completely unfounded. At least in your case, you've seen Trey Scott play basketball. <laughs> I've seen grainy highlight videos of Prince, yet find and him to be my second or third favorite player on the team. And then the last injury that was announced was Jeremiah Davenport had off-season knee surgery. That will keep him out until December and probably makes him a prime candidate to get redshirted in his freshman year. He's going to miss a lot of the season. Getting immersed into the team and the rotation halfway through the year is unlikely. So we'll see what happens. Nothing's been announced. It's complete speculation, but he would be a candidate, in my opinion, to to be redshirted his freshman year. Some good news we got. Chris Vogt was granted a waiver by the NCAA, and he will now be eligible to play for our team this year, which gives us a little more depth at a position that we know we have some question marks. So great to have Chris joining the team officially uh, for the 2019-2020 season. All right, Hummer. Well, last week we covered the, the returning players for the Bearcats and the roles that we thought they might play this coming season with the Bearcats basketball team. This week, let's dive into the new players to the team and talk about expectations. We can factor in what I saw at Midnight Madness. We can talk about what we've both seen online in terms of YouTube videos and feedback and comments we've heard from recruiting experts, from coaches. And let's kick things off with our highest rated recruit, Zach Harvey. What are your thoughts on on Zach Harvey heading into this season? So It's always tough. You know, giving your thoughts on on a guy you haven't seen too much about, but you know he's he kind of came out of nowhere from the recruiting perspective. We didn't really find out about him until John Brandon said, "Hey, we've recruited Zach Harvey." You know, we get the little <laughs> Bearcat dance on Twitter, right? Uh, but from what I'm hearing, he's a very impressive uh, young man. As we've already discussed, we're kind of wondering whether or not he will be a three year or four year stud. Um, you know, and it's it's really if you think about it from in terms of recruiting perspective, it's kind of rare that Cincinnati gets guys in the top fifty uh, 
you know, in the sense that we're, we're pulling in a highly rated recruit like that. Not only that, for a first-year coach to do it. Um, it seems, though, that he's going to be a major, major focal point of this offense from the guard perspective. Um, you know, it sounds like, you know, I know we're going to have a lot of people being able to push the ball up and down, but he's a guy that if he, I think that if he progresses throughout the season, if he shows that he's able to do it, I could see him getting the keys to the to the kingdom in terms of, of running the offense. Yeah, I was I was blown away with with how good he looked at, at Bearcat Madness and can easily see him playing a big role this year with the team. And I think his his tenacity on the defensive end is what was most surprising. And if he's going to be a plus defender, that's going to translate to big minutes because he's a good scorer. He can handle the ball. And clearly, he can create for others. And and we could be seeing big things from Zach Harvey year one. So it's, and you mentioned the defensive side. I think I've said this before. I'm I'm curious how it's going to go forward is is the defense that we're going to see this year or, or what we're seeing on the defensive end the remnants of the culture that's in with the with the old guard and the cronin players being just you know hey we're in practice this is how we play defense or is this something that john brandon's actively you know pushing as well from the deep defensive side i'm really curious to see how that goes as we move forward uh, in the in these upcoming years for sure. So I also want to dive into to Javin Cumberland, another guy we touched on already a little bit. Is based on Javin his, or Javin? I go back and forth. So just to give Didn't everyone, we hear it twice the other day? We've, we've, heard it, we've heard it both ways. I heard Javin say Javin, and I've heard the announcer at Bearcat Madness say Javin. So I apologize for fluctuating. I'm fluctuating the same way the Bearcat community fluctuates. And once I'm 100% certain, we'll lock that in in the future. But for now, I'll say Javin and... What he confirmed at Bearcat Madness is what we thought, which is lights out Sexy. shooter, light, <laughs> lights out shooter. He's going to be receiving plenty of passes from his cousin, Jaron, knocking down corner threes, pulling up early in the shot clock. And I am 100 percent OK with this guy having the green light from basically anywhere on the court. Who does who's a player, a past player that Javen reminds you of? I would say his comp is probably someone like Field Williams. I think his ball handling is better, but what's pretty comparable is lights out shooters, both pretty small in stature. Uh, Javin's only about six two, it looks like, not huge, and so you've got the spot up ability. Six three, don't 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 short the man. Yeah, that that might be generous. He's pretty. He doesn't look big out there, but knockdown shooter. He does have the ability to pump and take it to the hoop. So. We didn't see much of that from Field Williams, but it's an obvious comparison. I'm not being very creative when I say that, but it's it's a good, it's probably an accurate one. That's going to be the role he plays. Yeah, no, it's just like looking at Javen's highlights, Javen's highlights, Cumby number two. I mean, his his stroke is just, it's pure. I'm surprised that Oakland took that long to figure out that he needs to be on the court 30 something minutes a game. You know, it's it's kind of a shame he went two seasons of being basically a no what a no no nobody to all of a sudden he's averaging 18 points a game his his last year in the Horizon League. But something that stands out in the highlights, he shoots from way beyond the arc too. So he's not, you know, he he has a lot of range of not just limited to hey I'm on I'm on the line. He steps back from three four feet outside the arc. He's hitting his NBA range threes. I think that's going to be something that's absolutely incredible. To watch oh. him be able to do that this year. Yeah, it's missed. I mean, so I'm, I'm thinking also 
a gr- another great comp would have probably been Tony Bobbitt, who's probably a little bit bigger. Uh-huh. <laughs> another Bearcat shooting legend. Um, Javin's going to be – it's going to be a good player for us, man. He was he would look like he was heading to University of Michigan there for a while before Coach Beeline left. And you have to think, that's an offense of ball movement and three-point shooting. That's where they've made their name. And if he was able to fit into that offense, he could definitely slide into what John Brandon has in store. And he's going to be a He also player. has some of these uh, James Harden-type step moves. Right. Yeah, the side steps, the, the step backs. And it's, it's great to see working on – now, that footwork's not easy. And it takes practice, and it shows that he's in the gym working on and perfecting his game. So, very and exciting. He can drive player. to the hoop too. I think we I think we underestimate. We 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 wad him on his three point shooting, but he has the ability, just like his cousin, to to really drive the hole. We think we'll see. That's the thing I'm not as certain on. But if he has that, he's going to be a major scorer for the team. One of the biggest surprises I alluded to him earlier. Not even I, I discussed him earlier was Micah Adams Woods. Pleasant, pleasantly surprised about Micah's ability to run the point guard. I don't know how much more detail we have to go in there, but honestly, he's probably going to contribute from day one, and I don't know if I necessarily expected that two or three weeks ago. The main point guard yeah. rival that Micah will have will be Chris McNeil. We've discussed Chris on past podcasts, and his shooting Seems ability— like you're changing your tone on him, though. I'm not sure what to believe because he gets rave reviews from the coaching staff and anybody who meets him, and I don't doubt that he's a great leader on the court. And Our that, coach is going to not talk great about their 18-, 19-year-old college players, though. Right, but you can tell when it's a little bit over the top and they can where they really are kind of inspired by the intangibles someone brings to the table, and I think that's probably the case with Chris McNeil. He's probably got the leadership intangible, the, the work ethic, the talent level isn't the same as you see with Zach Harvey or Micah Adams-Woods or Javon Cumberland. So his role, he's probably got a clear role on the team. I still expect him to be in the starting lineup day one. It's just we'll see if – it's yet to be seen if he can consistently knock down shots. And if you're not a shooter at the point guard position, it does make it more difficult for the offense to be successful. All right, Hummer, let's get into the main big men that are new to this squad. Jay Soroya. I got my first look at the big man, seven, all seven foot, 260 pounds of him. He's definitely going to fill the paint on the defensive side. He's not even the tallest one on the team at seven foot. It's amazing. We actually have some true size on this team this year. And Soroya, I think we know what his role is going to be. He's, he's going to be a backup center for the squad. Uh, likely filling in for about 10 to 15 minutes a game. And I expect that he could do a solid job defensively, especially when we're playing larger teams. You know, when we're playing Memphis and Wiseman's in the paint against us, I think Soroya is going to be helpful. And we saw him in the scrimmage bust out a a mid-range jumper. Who knows? There might be some surprises there. I think he'll 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 have a limited role with the team, uh, but it is a big body to throw out there against teams of size. But then that you're not seeing anything that's gonna light up the pages, Mr. J. Sorolla, 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 yeah, Spanish. <laughs> that's how he's from Barcelona. Uh, you don't see anything that that's gonna be breaking Mr. Sorolla off the pages and heading over to Spain to play his professional career. I'm sure he can find a role when you're seven feet tall and engaged in basketball and have played at a, a decently high level, Division One. You could probably find a, a place to play. But nothing 
nothing jumps off the page besides the size and defensive upside in terms of protecting the rim. And I'd, I'd probably say the same about uh, Chris Vogt, also enormous. I actually thought Soroya looked bigger in person, but they're both very large. And, you know, Vote was active. They both they both can, you know, he had a tip slam in the game. Um, and when you're that big and if you're fairly coordinated, which both of them appear to be, you should be able to protect the rim. And I think they both could be fighting for those for that backup center type position. He, he's a transfer from NKU. Yeah. That's the only thing that's scary to me is that, granted, I know we're also talking up Javen here. He's coming from the Horizon League. But when you're a center in a Horizon League averaging four points a game, it's not, not entirely optimistic yeah. about Chris Vogt. No, with Chris Vogt, his, his challenge in the past has been staying out of foul trouble, which is typical of someone who is not necessarily sure of himself on the defensive end yet, not sure of the rotations, potentially a little bit slow-footed. So if we're able to get him a little more fit, a little more quick on his feet, reduce the fouls, you could see him playing a similar role to Soroya, honestly. And I think they're both, they both have about the same type of upside. I haven't really seen anything that leads me to believe either of them is going to be a high point total or a high rebound total player. They, they have the ability to come in, play some defense, protect the rim, give some fouls, and, uh, and that's about it. I don't think the expectations should be too high for either of those players. No, I think they're going to be backups to Trey Scott and Diara. Those are, those are going to be a real big men or those two those two players. At this point, I would 100% agree. And the last scholarship player we have that's new to the team would be the um, freshman Jeremiah Davenport, who's currently out with a, a knee surgery. He's about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, really good size. Didn't Haven't had a chance to see him play much. I've seen some highlights. Apparently a very well-rounded player who is skilled for a, uh, a kid who's 6'7". Um, but it's it's yet to be seen if he's actually going to play this year for the Bearcats. He may sit out a year. Yeah, I think you brought that up. It's a good point. He's probably going to end up redshirting. If he's not coming in till December, it doesn't really make sense to miss half the season. So we've kind of had a chance to run through the entire roster. If you if I asked you to reevaluate your – are you sticking with uh, the 23-7 and seven prediction? Is there anything you're – that, that you're more nervous about now? Is there anything you feel better about that maybe a couple weeks ago you didn't? Honestly, yeah, I feel actually I feel better. I might actually lean more towards your prediction and say mine's a little under-optimistic at this point. One thing that sticks out in my mind is when we're looking at the big men situation, you forget how, and I'm, I'm struggling to say this because I don't want to keep saying his name a thousand times, but you forget how athletic Trey Scott is. You forget how athletic Mamadou Diara is. And these guys can really fill that void as a good, not only a good big man, but big men that actually have shots. And and that's really big, re- really, really special to be able to have that. When you get guys like Jaron, like we were just running, we were just running through what our, our starting lineups would be. Jaron Cumberland, Trey Scott, Jay Van Cumberland, Zach Harvey, Mamadou Diara, or Keith Williams. That is one hell of a starting five agreed right so if, if we have full health if we have a healthy jaron cumberland our core rotation like our core seven guys i love let's think about it this way we're we're gonna have an honestly a rotation of basically nine guys that are regularly gonna see action 
So you could run a whole four new four core four out there, throw one of the big backup centers to help get some minutes off, and you still have Williams, Woods, Moore, McNeil, Soroya, or or vote. And that's really not a, a terrible second team to come in and relieve minutes off of or, or interchange some of those parts out as the games move on. One hundred percent. I mean it's it's he's got a lot of pieces. It's surprising. You know, we have we had so much roster turnover to have this type of arsenal in next year with a first year coach for the program. I, I'm not complaining. Listeners, if you are enjoying the podcast, please click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify. And we would love it and appreciate it if you could leave us a five star review with some comments about why you love the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Thank you. As always, you can always email us at cincyslangin at gmail.com. Start a dialogue with us. We, we answer our Twitter feeds. We do direct messages. We do everything. Yep. Twitter at cincyslangin. Email cincyslangin at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, for your support. Hover, it's our favorite time of the podcast where we have the opportunity to pay our respects to a former Bearcat great whether statistically amazing or contributing in other intangible ways, who are we going to honor this week on the Cincy Slang and Bear- Bearcat Basketball Podcast? So, we may have done him already. I think that if we're, we're we just got done with Midnight Madness, I don't know if they talked about how much these guys can bench press. That's always big a thing. It's been a big thing in the past. We kind of took a dump on this guy a few weeks ago. He holds the record for the most pounds benched pressed by a University of Cincinnati Bearcat. That alone should get him in to the Hall of Fame. This one goes out to you, Mr. Eric Hicks. Yes, I love it. I did not know he had that record. What's the record? Do you have the number? Uh, I think it was 345 pounds. Do you know how many reps? Was that a one rep? I don't remember. Uh, it was no the Midnight Madness stat. Eric Hicks made the tribute video, and it was a play where James White took it to the cup, came off the rim, and he threw it down with two hands so viciously. Uh, I loved the duo of Jason Maxiel and Eric Hicks. And we'll never forget when we played the University of Kentucky in the second round, Jason Maxiel's senior year, Jay oh, Billis was, was announcing the game. And early on, you know, I think it was either Jason or Eric threw down one of those vicious tip slams and Jay Billis blurted out, they will dunk on your skull. And I just <laughs> loved what that represented at the time. That was exactly what we knew and loved as Bearcat fans. And Eric Hicks epitomize that as well as any Bearcat great. Yeah, he was the man. Eric Hicks, love to see you at Bearcat Madness in the future. This one is for you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.